Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, at Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, it's back. Football is back after our period of mourning and after our international break. Uh, Unfortunately, we are recording this before our respective games, Kieran, so let's just assume in the circumstances we've both lost and move on. (laughs) Very wise. Um, It's questions day, Kieran, and our first question comes from Connor Wilkinson. Uh, And Connor says, as a procurement professional, which I can't help childishly thinking sounds slightly rude, but never mind. As a procurement professional, I've often wondered whether football clubs employ procurement personnel to manage their supplier relationships and negotiate operational and capital costs contracts to ensure best value. With the majority of clubs focusing on the management of their cost base owing to the impact of COVID, does the role of a procurement professional within football, and if so, how far down the football pyramid do you think such a role exists? So uh, we're talking headhunters here, presumably, Kieran, are we? Um, I don't think headhunters. It's uh, do you have somebody that negotiates your uh, energy deals? Do you have somebody that negotiates oh, your transport deals right. rather than having you know, a member of staff do it? Um, so I, I, I contacted a couple of clubs today. Uh, I, I won't name the clubs, but uh, we've got one club which which has been here in, in the Premier League, and they said yes. Yeah, we, we we've got one person here at the club whose job it is to is to get the best deals possible, um, and they they more than pay for their salary in terms of the savings that they can generate for the club. So that's that's one way that's. Taken. Um, I, I spoke to another club in the championship, and they said, "Well, we we don't do that. We we've got individual line managers who will try to use their contacts to do the same, but we don't have one centralised guy. And and those line managers report to the board, and then the board make their decision as to whether or not they think that's a fair price, and then they go ahead. So um, that, that's that's another way of working. But I mean, there there is, I think, the, the potential here. You know. I know that sort of Martin Lewis has his, uh, you know, his, his money-saving expert clubs, which sort of buy in bulk on behalf of members. You know, and is there a case for, you know, ten clubs in the EFL or the EFL itself to say, well, for certain central costs which are common, you know, perhaps we could start to negotiate in terms of being able to buy in bulk on behalf uh, of. Uh, of clubs uh, as, as a way of saving money because uh, you know I've I've been on the radio. We're recording this on Thursday, so I've I've been on the radio today talking about the the issues of energy costs for clubs. I know Dale Vince has done the same. Mark Palios has done the same. Uh, you know, it, it is an ongoing issue for clubs, and, and they're looking to save money. So either centralising. Some purchasing uh, could be of benefit. Yeah, other clubs might say, "Well, actually, we like to use local suppliers. We we want to do this all ourselves." But uh, I, th- I think clubs are, are are now out of necessity as much as anything else, saying that that everything is ev- ev- everything's on the table. Yeah, we're not going to leave um, any. Any, any discussions unturned in the sense of we, we've got to get our cost bases down um, because we, we can't afford to continue 
in in the present circumstances because the the cost of living crisis doesn't just apply to individuals it applies to to businesses as well and and, and football clubs are businesses and you know their their customers i.e. us as fans we're having to make decisions in terms of going to matches so you know you might somebody might go for three pints on cutting down to two or one you might not buy a pie and, and you know that, that 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 marginal revenue that that incremental money is starting to, to disappear because people can't afford it yeah, it, it, it's the pre-match role I'd be cutting down on, Kieran, not the pint. <laughs> I, I can I can manage to get through a whole game without a ham and onion roll from the Portsons, but it, it, anything less than four pints, the pain's too much. So does, does this mean then, Kieran, that like us at home, a club, say Everton, for example, or Palace, might have somebody whose job it is to watch daytime television adverts and go, we should switch our, tele- our our credit card because we can get a better interest rate. Is it is it at that level, or are we we talking about major expenditures here? I, I think we're talking about the the the, the main purchases of the club. But um, yeah, I think think Mark Palios said that that now after wages, that the biggest cost for a football club is energy. Wow. So yeah, you, you could have somebody who whose job it is to go around and try to negotiate the best. Uh, the the best deals um, and you know, that person what you know, life's all about networking in, in business and you if, if you're a procurement professional what you've got is a very good network and, and you get in contact with your friends and they say right well this is this is what we're hearing this is the best place for insurance this is the best place for uh, you know uh, fuel costs this is the best case best and and, and they start to, to 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 work on that basis yeah see that's the reason we're not getting the BAFTA here and we we don't network enough you see one of the reasons <laughs> yes. one of the reasons that we, we don't get the BAFTA <laughs> uh, our next question comes from Shishir Kulahali uh, I hope I've pronounced that correctly Shishir um and if I haven't, and I've compounded the error by mispronouncing it, in my apology. Uh, Shishi's correct uh, question says: Teams in the Champions League who finish third in the group stage move into the Europa League second stage. Teams who advance in the Champions League but get kicked out at the second stage don't have anything else to enter to fall back on. So my question is: How far do you have to advance in the Europa League if you've entered in the second stage to be financially better off the next team, the Champions League, at the second stage? Right. I mean, this is this is spreadsheet heaven, as far as I'm <laughs> concerned, as you can Everything imagine. Everything is spreadsheet heaven. There's no such thing as spreadsheet purgatory for you, Kieran. It's all, <laughs> you're, straight, you're straight to spreadsheet heaven. Um, so what would happen here is that if you get, uh, if you finish second in the Champions League and uh, you therefore go into the last 16, you are guaranteed 9.5 million euro. Um, if you drop into the Europa League, you would uh, have to pay play your round of 32, round of 16, quarterfinals, semifinals, and then win it, and you would be €500,000 better off as a result of that. And you would also have get the benefit of three sets of match receipts. Um, so, so it would appear that you'd probably have to win the Europa League uh, in order to be better off. Having said that, by the way that it works in the Champions League, you get nine hundred thousand euro per point. 
So if you finish second, by definition, the chances are that you will have earned more points because you'll have won more matches to be the runners-up than you would have had you finished third. So there's no definitive rule, but um, you would certainly have to get to the final, I would say, of the Europa League to be better off. And then, of course, the other benefit is that if you win the Europa League, you get an automatic place in the following year's Champions League, which which could be hugely beneficial because if you've not finished in the top four, you know, so you know, from Manchester United's point of view, or or, or, a, or a club that drops out, um, uh, if you don't finish in the top four, that that does give you a huge benefit because for every one pound that you get from the Europa League, as far as sort of qualifying and, and group games and so on, um, you get around about uh, you get around about four four pounds fifty in the Champions League. So it, so it is hugely beneficial. This question comes from Craig Hollyhead. Um, and I like this question, Kieran, because it starts basically the way I start a lot of questions off air to you, which is, <laughs> well, your, your patience sometimes runs out. As Craig Hollyhead says, I'm sure I either read or heard that the likes of Real Madrid or Barcelona only pay wages twice a year, mainly to aid cash flow. Is this true? Well, this is basically this is equivalent to me saying to you, Kieran, bloke in the Porson's arms tells me Real Madrid <laughs> only pay wages twice a year. Is that true? Um, if it is true, says Craig, why don't Premier League clubs do it as well? As many of the players are millionaires and probably don't need their wages paid weekly or monthly as much as lower league players. If it isn't true, why are we asking it? Um, would, <laughs> <laughs> would it be logical to, tie, to do this to tie in with the big payments coming in from TV deals, again, aiding cash flow? Well, it's certainly a very interesting idea, Craig. My understanding is is that it's not true, um, and uh, for partly due to the fact that what Real Madrid and Barcelona would have to do is is twice a year is to write out paychecks for for three hundred million euro, mm. and you know from a cash flow point of view, that is pretty tough. Um, uh, Spanish clubs aren't noted for uh, financial common sense any more than than English football clubs. So, you know, it, it's a bit like us knowing, you know, I've, I've got a tax bill. You know, if you think about what we've got here in, in the sort of the, the, uh, the self-employed tax system in the UK, that you've got to pay money on the 31st of July and the 31st of January. Well, in theory, you set aside money each month yeah, uh, to yeah. to prepare for it. In, theory, in reality, yeah. you get to the end of June and you think, "Oh Jesus Christ!" Yeah. Um, and and you live off pot noodle and 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 water for the next month. So, um, it's I don't think that I don't know where where he's heard it from. So, and I may be wrong on this, Craig. So, if so apologies, but I'm not aware of it being true. And, and what I would also say in in respect of players. Um, if, if that was to be applied to the Premier League. Um, football players, and, and, I, and I don't want to stereotype here, they they themselves are not necessarily a profession which is noted for good cash management. So, you know, football players have got mortgages, they've got cars that they bought. Yes, yes, they're earning lots of money, um, but they do have regular outgoings. Um, many of them uh, have commitments to their extended family as well because many football players are very generous towards their family and um I, I just i don't think that they would be particularly good at receiving 
a six-month payment and then managing it well until they got their next six-month payment. So um, reg- regular outgoings and, and a regular wage is, is, a, is a lot more sensible. Um, as far as tying it into the, the money from the Premier League itself, um, the, the Premier League does give a fairly uh, significant payment out normally, I think about the 15th or 16th of June, normally sort of the second week of June. Um, and uh, that is uh, a significant element of the what's known as the, the, uh, the agreed or the minimum sum you get. The way that the Premier League distributes money is that 50% of the money is split evenly. So you get, you, I think you get around about half of that payment, which is probably around about £30 million in the second week of June. And then you get regular top-ups. And then at the end of the season, uh, you get the prize money in terms of your final finish in the table. And you get what's known as, as a facility fee. And the way that that works is if you've been chosen to appear on live television um, on a regular basis, you get broadly, it works out as you get an extra £1 million per appearance if you've appeared more than 10 times. So you know, therefore, the likes of Liverpool, Manchester United, City, Chelsea, and so on um, are, are likely to receive big payouts. And that will be that normally comes at the end of the season. I understand, Kieran. I imagine players, uh, League One, League Two level, are having to manage their finances in a similar way to mine, only better. But I, I, always, I always guess that the likes of Harry Kane or Cristiano Ronaldo would have somebody managing their money for them, wouldn't they, on a daily basis? Or are we suggesting that, that Harry Kane wakes up in the morning, looks at his bank app and says, oh, I better transfer a bit over. I've got the gas bill coming out. Well, I, I think you're absolutely right. When we reach the elite level and, you know, we had the discussion on, uh, on, 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 you know, on one of the shows recently that you know, Cristiano Ronaldo it is likely to have a a salary of of around about twenty million pounds a year, and remember, on top of that, he's got all of his endorsements, which could easily mm. double that. He he won't have to do that, but there are players in the Premier League, and and, and you know this sounds really crass, uh, given you know the much broader economic issues that uh, that are being faced by many people in the country. There there, there will be you know, younger players. There will be uh, players on on crack contracts for clubs that have just come up who might only be on you know 20 25 30 grand a week um and then once you paid your tax on that a lot of that will go into your pension um and what what's left is it is you know more than enough to live on but uh, it still needs to be managed and i think that that can quickly disappear if if you're only being paid that amount of money um twice a year yeah, fair point. Uh, although I suspect a lot of listeners will uh, certainly don't think you can use the word only uh, in the same sentence as £20,000 a week. Um, yeah. Now, at, at, at this moment, Kieran, uh, I was due to ask you a question from Lee Poulin. Uh, so instead, I have to make an apology to Lee Poulin because our, our backlog of questions is such that we... <laughs> It's no longer relevant, but I didn't want Lee to be to have been waiting for eighteen months, uh, but not to hear his name read out because circumstances changed three days ago. 
because he's <laughs> Lee's a fan of uh, Brisbane Raw in Australia, who uh, are co-owned or also owned by the uh, the then owners of Oxford United, the Backries, who, as he describes them, as the relatively new owners of Oxford United. <laughs> <laughs> but as, as we discussed on our last pod on Thursday, that they are no longer the owners of Oxford United, the question no longer stands. So I apologise for that, Lee, but as, as a, a bonus, as a reward for waiting so long, I'll tell you what, special deal, you get a question in about anything next couple of weeks. Could be about the sniffs, could be about Joy Division, anything, and I, I promise you we'll answer it. I promise. <laughs> so, <laughs> Robert McPherson uh, is a fan of Ross County. Uh, Robert McPherson says, my club, Ross County, pay wages below that of the conference in England. How much value would agents give to moving up north to the greatest team north of the Keswick Bridge, given that the exposure in the SPO is much greater than that in the lower English leagues? For example, most recently, Ross Stewart made a move to England after a good season with us and is now in the Scotland squad. Well, I think this is a really intriguing issue, uh, which has been raised by Robert. I mean, first of all, I'm, I'm not I'm not convinced that there are many clubs in the National League that have a lower wage bill than, than Ross County. I mean, Ross County's wage bill um, in the most recent accounts was was three point eight million. If you, if you look at League Two, it sort of varies from around about two point two to to five million, and then in the National League. Yeah, Wrexham might be paying more than that this year, but so so I, I think we could we can benchmark um, Ross County against uh, you know sort of a mid tier League Two club is sort of, would 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 be my assessment there. But in respect of the position of is it worth coming up to Scotland? Um, there there is a lot of benefit. Um, and, and the reason for that is you're absolutely right. You you will get greater exposure, um, and that this has certainly been the approach which has been taken by clubs such as Rangers. So you know that they've they've gone to to players from England and said, "Come up to Rangers. Um, first of all, you'll be, you'll be play. You, you might be either." Uh, you know, a a squad player or a player that's trying to break through into a Premier League team, but you know, not quite getting there. Or you might be from the Championship. Um, we we can't necessarily pay you a huge wage, but what what we can say is, is first of all, you'll be paying playing in front of fifty thousand people um, every fortnight. Um, you you will be playing in Europe, and what we will do is that you know, we will we will not stand in your way should. Um, uh, another club come in, and, and that's what we've seen from Rangers. Um, sort of, uh, you know, this season, some of their players have come in. I think from one from Leicester and so on, one from Charlton, um, and then they've moved on. Um, and, and and the deal that you tend to give, I think, if you are a club such as Ross County, and I'm, I'm certainly aware that this is the case uh, as far as Rangers are concerned, is to say, well, we can't pay you a huge wage. But what we can do is we will say we will give you the exposure of playing at the top tier of Scottish football. And then if a club comes back for you from England or, or from the continent, um, we will give you a bigger slice of the transfer fee um, upon your exit. So so it's from a you know, from the player's point of view, they, they've got an incentive to, you know, the players have always got incentives to do well because they, they're they professionals and they take pride in what they do. But they, they'll be aware that should their exposure 
uh, you know, lead to a national cap or, or, or lead to uh, you know, being seen by, by a broader uh, scout base because you're playing in the top tier, um, then that will be reflected in your transfer fee and you might be picking up, say, you know, 15 to 20% of that transfer fee instead of perhaps 5%. So uh, I, th- I think what Roberts uh, said does, does have a lot of merit and certainly my understanding is that, that following Brexit, um, Scottish clubs are looking to England and, and English clubs are looking to Scotland because the ability to recruit players from the European Union is is now based on a points-based system and it's making things far more challenging for clubs. So so therefore, you have to look more at the domestic market. Mm. Um, first of all, well done for not giggling when you said upon your exit. Small steps, Kieran, small steps. That's good. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's not that long ago, Kieran, is it? I mean, it, it, in the first half of the 90s, I mean, there was a time, I think, when Rangers had six full English internationals in their team. And they Celtic and Rangers were uh, luring players from all over the continent, as were a lot of other Scottish teams, because the English broadcasting deal hadn't kicked in. English clubs were still struggling to get back in into Europe after the ban. So Scotland was a very attractive place for players to go. And, and no one turned a hair when, when Paul Gascoigne, who was mm. you know, one of the top three players in the world at the time, arguably, when he went to to Glasgow Rangers, no one thought that was at all strange in the way that they might might do now. And that's that's not that long ago, is it, Kieran? And, and funny enough, no, look at well, that. It's good. Sorry, mate. I've got I've got the figures going back, and Rangers had the third highest wage bill at the start of the Premier League years. Rangers had the third highest wage bill in in the whole of of England and Scotland. Wow! So you're absolutely right. You know, the the TV deals hadn't kicked in. Rangers had some pretty big benefactors at the time, um, and that allowed them to genuinely be 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 one of the top player, top players. And 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 football's a talent game, and, and the talent follows the money. Mm. Plus, you know, match day income on on fifty, sixty thousand people, and at that time, no clubs in England were getting figures anywhere near that on a on a mm. match day, were they? Um, yeah. Ryan Ford has a. Uh, an interesting one for you, Kieran. Ryan Ford's question is this. I regularly hear on the podcast about the increase in revenue that comes from having more away fans visit your stadium as you move up the pyramid to play bigger, more established clubs. With the exception of Tuesday evening games, it seems that home matches for my club, Harrogate Town, seem to swiftly sell out the away allocation, which is around 600, for league games. It's always met with cynical comments from the away team fans online, mocking the size of our club and our stadium, Weatherby Road. As our average home attendance hovers around 2,000, I can see why the club wouldn't want to allocate any more tickets to away fans, but surely there's a financial argument that could be made to expand the away end. You know, If you've got a big team visiting you, that seems to make sense, Kieran, somewhere. I know you're going to annoy your, your, your regular fans, but if, if you know somebody like Sunderland, maybe, not or a club that size is coming to town with you know, 1,500 people, then you take that money and run, don't you? Yes, yeah, I think it's an interesting one with, with Harrogate. So I, I did a little bit of uh, a, a little, little bit of ferreting around, and I, I want to go to Harrogate Town because I want to be able to go and go to my local rail uh, to book a rail ticket to Hornbeam Park Rail Station, which has got to be one of the, oh, nice. the most most romantic named stations in the country. Um, and also, I, I want to try out their Wellington Burger. 
which apparently is is a local pastry which consists of of beef, blue cheese, garlic, mushrooms, and a red wine gravy. So yeah, wow. it, it sounds it's yeah, it, it, it sounds fantastic. Um, yeah. Will you be uh, uh, have, sorry, Kieran? Will you be bringing your marmite spoon with you? Well, if, if it involves scraping out uh, as much from the pastry as possible, then, yeah, then possibly. The marmite spoon is, a, is the thing of wonder. You, yeah, you, yeah. Get, you get an extra four slices of toast from utilising the marmite spoon, you which are, I think is vastly underrated in these, <laughs> in these troubled times economically. You're such an accountant, aren't you? Can, <laughs> can, you, can you claim for those extra four slices of toast? <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best. Um Looking at the position of Harrogate Town, um, their, their, their ground has got a capacity of 5,000. So it, it would appear that there, as, as you rightly said, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a payoff here. Um, football fans are creatures of habit. And therefore, you know, we, we often say this, we like to sit in the same place or stand in the same place talking to the same idiots about the same things week in, week out. And anything which rocks that routine um you know tends to generate a bit of a backlash so uh you know could the club try to change things around yeah but i think think there's also there's a separate issue um we we quite like the idea in football of having the away fans behind one goal yeah um so it could be that you know that that is an issue and uh you know what, what Harrogate have done is is that they've tried to allocate, and it's and it's easier from a segregation and a stewarding point of view, and, and those issues might take precedence um, over increasing the uh, you know or, or shifting their way. And I, it, they they might be in a position in a year or two because I know that they have expanded the ground on a, on a few occasions over the last decade to to somehow being able to increase the capacity. Um, at where the away fans go, and, and, and that way everybody can be satisfied because the overall capacity of the ground goes up. And um, I, I think it is one of those places that you quite enjoy visiting because, again, as as an as an away fan, and you know we we we, we do tick boxes. I've not been to Harrogate Town, so it would be one of those places that, should the opportunity ever arise, I'd always make more of an effort to go to because you 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 want to tick off uh, you know as many new grounds as possible. Oh, it's just, that, that, that's why I love the FA Cup draw so much, the third round draw, because yeah. you you just sitting there going, "Come on, Burton, Burton away, come on." I haven't been to Burton. Come on, Harrogate away, that'd be great. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. 
Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. I need to warn you, Kieran, this next question is about the Super League, but it, mm-hmm. it's coming from a good place, so just take a deep breath before you answer it. You, you know how angry you get when, when we talk about the Super League. You know, there's a, there's a question coming up about Tracy Crouch later. So, yeah, your, your, your happy place is coming, Kieran. So in, in the meantime, let's just get through this question. And it comes from Andrew Ward. Um and I think Andrew is is verbalising some, vocalising something. Uh, well, it's a verb in this. I mean, he's talking, so he's not. He's writing, but never mind. Painted myself into a corner there, Kieran. Um, Andrew is talking about something a lot of people spoke about when the idea of the Super League was mentioned. Because Andrew says, my question relates to the much maligned Super League idea. So he says much maligned, Kieran. He's not in favour of it. In a hypothetical scenario where the new league went ahead and the Premier League cut ties with the six English clubs participating... Would we have seen a big reset in terms of the balance and golf in size of teams left in the division? I.e., are the other fourteen teams much more closely aligned financially, which would mean we have a much more open league? Uh, of course, having said that, Newcastle, he has said, would now potentially be a Super League contender. But basically, Kieran, there were people who said at the time, Sodom, let them go, and it'll be a more mm. attractive Premier League. Y- yes. Uh, now. I assume Andrew. This is not Andrew Ward, who is the communication communications director at Manchester United, who's sort of trying to just sound us out uh, as to whether well, okay, if we do go and leave. Uh, uh, but I, I assume that Andrew is, is not 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 that particular Andrew Ward. Um, I think it would be a fascinating scenario. Uh, there would be a financial reset as far as the the other 14 clubs is concerned because um, you know, whilst we consider clubs such as Villa, Leeds, West Ham, Leicester, Wolves you know, and, and so on to be pretty decent sized clubs, they, they are domestically, but from a global fan base perspective, they're, they're, they're not in the, the same position as as the likes of you know, the, the, the Manchester clubs, Liverpool, Chelsea and so on. Um, and remember, there would also be six more clubs coming up from the championship. Yeah. So, you know, we could we we could see, you know, perhaps the two Sheffield clubs and Derby and uh, you know and and, su- and su- such like and Norwich and you know all of a sudden you've got a lot of clubs who can quite happily sell out a 30,000 35,000 seater stadium um in the top league of the domestic game and you and I we are we we're honest and enough to to say that oh, we remember Derby County, Nottingham Forest, Blackburn Rovers, Aston Villa, Everton, Leeds United. Uh, We remember all of these clubs winning the top division. And we also remember a time when it was quite natural for there to be four different winners of of the top division in in six years, Mm. as as opposed to the position where we are now. 
So I think it could be a, a really good product. And the, the, the Premier League clubs, you know, in Andrew's hypothetical situation, who, who go off down their own end of the street to play with their, with their friends at Barcelona and Juventus and so on, um, it would be a different competition. Um, I think the two could, could, could live in, in harmony. Um, you know, and it would be, it would be great fun because, yeah, I, I support Brighton and you support Palace. I don't actually care particularly who we're playing. Uh, yes, it's nice to play Liverpool and Manchester United and so on, but, uh, you know, we, we go along to see our teams win. And I've got to be honest, Kevin, we'd win more matches, both of us, wouldn't we, in all probability yeah. than, than we do at present. So, um, it wouldn't be a doomsday scenario if the, the those those clubs left. But of course, what they wanted to was to have their cake and eat it. They wanted an eighteen-team Premier League, which would allow them to play more European matches, and that would mean that it would actually reinforce their the, the existing gaps that they have against the likes of you know, ambitious clubs, so Newcastle, Leeds, Villa, and so on, who who have yeah, big fan bases because the Super League clubs would be playing probably you know, 16, 18 games in Europe plus the 34 games uh, domestically. And you know, all of a sudden, you, know, you and I and Leeds fans and Villa fans and Newcastle fans, we're saying, well, we, we've just lost four games a season from our club. Um, so that's four sets of, you know, two sets of revenue, two home fixtures, but also four, you know, four weekends where we're not seeing our clubs play football. Um, so that, that that would be the fear from my point of view. And it's always been the fear in respect of the Super League was that uh, the biggest losers would be the, the fans of, of sort of the mid-tier clubs because they'd end up seeing less and they're their relative chance of winning matches against the elite, that would decrease as well. So you don't currently care who Brighton are playing, Kieran, because somehow the fixture computer seems to make sure you're playing somebody in the bottom six of the table every week. Whereas with us, the fixture computer seems to make us play somebody who's won the Premier League in the past five years every week. I don't know how that works because there aren't that many clubs in there, but we've, we've had the lot and you've... It'll catch up with you, Kieran. Um, just in passing, Kieran, I wasn't planning to uh, to to answer you this, but I know you will have an answer. I was in Edinburgh recently, which, as you know, is is a very happy place for me, and, and talking to mates and comedians who are Scottish football fans. And this argument always comes up, and, and as Andrew Ward has just uh, theorised here, they will always say that perhaps the Scottish Premier League would be a better product and more interesting if Celtic and Rangers weren't in it. Now, financially, I can't see how that would be the case and I can't see how there would be a broadcasting deal. But that's uh, there are, you know, a friend of mine is a St. Johnson fan. He basically says the sooner Celtic and Rangers are playing football in the Premier League or the Championship, the happier he will be for the rest of the thing. So is, is it the same argument that Andrew Ward is talking about in England or is, is the finances or are the finances so totally different that it, it simply couldn't survive without those two clubs? I, I think it, it it could survive. It's it's all about a case of organising your, your your costs. So if you knew that, yeah, you know, we, we've just been speaking about Ross County. Um, they have a wage bill of 
you know, 3.8 million. The wage bill of Celtic is normally in the region of, you know, 50 million, 50 to 60. Um, so you, you take Celtic away and all of a sudden you have a competitive Scottish premiership. Uncertainty attracts broadcasters. Would, would the deal be as generous as it is as present? No. But I think, you know, crowds would turn up for the, you know, if, if St. Johnson are playing Kilmarnock and they are second and third or first and third uh, in in the revised Scottish League, then then the crowds will go, go up. Um, so, you know, fo- football is a very much a surviving industry. It's it's had to deal with a series of, of shocks, sometimes self-inflicted, sometimes due to externalities. And uh, I think Scottish football would would be different. And it it would mean that you know, a Ross County fan or a St Johnston fan, it, we, we often say this, you know, you, that, that feeling that you have on the first day of the season of, well, you know, could be it's improbable, but it could be our year. They don't have that feeling at all because the the financial advantage that Rangers and Celtic have is is so entrenched that uh, you know, even finishing second, I think, would be a hell of an achievement. And and the chances of both of those clubs having such an off season that you know, Aberdeen or Hearts or St Johnson win it is, uh, I, I think, just too improbable to countenance. So. Uh, it, it would, I think, give fans more to look forward to. You know, what what do they look forward to at present? Well, it's you know, could we get into the Europa League? Could we get into the Europa Conference? Could we have a good cup run? Um, and yeah, that's that's not dissimilar to to where we stand in terms of following our clubs. Yeah, and I'm, I'm on a bound here, Kieran. Before I've got friends who support both Celtic and Rangers. No, don't support both of them. That would be that would that would be, <laughs> that would be difficult. But you, you see, what I mean, um, it's becoming slightly redundant, according to. And I think they're right that this idea that Scotland's a country where only two teams win, and that is true. But increasingly, France and Germany are countries where only one team wins. I mean, no, mm. ma- no matter how much we admire the German financial uh, model, Bayern Munich has won the, the league the last ten times running. You know, England is a country where increasingly it's it's a toss up at the start of the season whether Man City or Liverpool win the league. So it isn't it isn't just Scotland. Here's here's your independent regulator question, Kieran. Here's here's your happy place. Um, we did discuss on Thursday that the government are perhaps wavering slightly about the Tracy Crouch uh fan led review. Um, but Mark Griffiths has this question. Mark Griffiths says, do you think an independent regulator would address the situation in the National League where only two clubs go up to the EFL? Could they impose a system where three or four sides go up from and down to the National League so it's in line with the rest of the EFL? This is something we discussed with Jason Stockbridge, Kieran, as well, the Grimsby mm. uh, owner. Because it does seem slightly odd that it's harder to get out of of the national league, when it when increasingly it sells itself as Division Five, if you like, of, of English football, and it seems to me that it's for teams like Scunthorpe and Oldham, it, it becomes more of a disaster to be relegated to that league when it's it's that much more difficult to get out. Yes, um, well, w- what I would say, Mark, is 
I'm I'm increasingly confident that uh, there there will be a white paper uh, later this year. Um, so that's that's the positive. The negative is the independent regulator would not want to get involved in terms of what you might call operational issues. So you know things such as should there be replays in the third round of the FA Cup, oh, right, uh, and promotion and relegation. So the regulator, I think, would steer well away. And I think that's right to do so as well, because um, for every winner, there there is a loser. Now, the, the reason why we don't have three up or four up and down from the National League and the EFL is, as, as we often make this reference to, it's it's self-interest. Uh, the, 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 the clubs in the EFL simply don't want to, and they might argue that they, they couldn't afford to drop to the National League or have four of them drop to the National League because the first thing that you do is that you you lose your solidarity payments from the Premier League. Um, the second thing is uh, you, you will lose your EFL TV deal money as well. You do get parachute payments for two years. Um, you also lose the the money that you get through the elite player performance plan, which goes to clubs in the EFL. You you do get that a bit of a parachute for that, but that that is lost. And and clubs in the clubs in the EFL League One and League Two, they'll say, well, you know, why, why should we vote for this if it's going to increase our chances of losing all of that cash? Being in the ninety two is significantly more lucrative than than being in the National League. So from the EFL club's point of view, they're not going to vote for it. The EFL has an existing contract with the National League, which says it's, you know, it's two up, two down. And there would have to be a very persuasive case put forwards, um, I think, before clubs in the EFL, who, who ultimately would, have, would vote on this, and, and then you know, they give the mandate to... Uh, the executive of the EFL to go ahead for it. So, from from a, I think from a national league point of view, it's got a lot, got a lot to attract it. Um, I, I think from from a fans' point of view, it, it's got quite a few attractions as well. Because, yeah, we hate being relegated, but you know, you and I, we we we've seen our clubs relegated in in the past. And the the first thing you do is the, is the following season, you, you you look at the fixture list and you say, well, I've not been there for five years, or or they've moved to a new ground and have not been there, and so on. And, and you quickly forget, and, and you just look forward. It's it's actually to a certain extent, it's always it's always slightly better to be a slightly bigger fish in a slightly smaller pond, anyway. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure Scunthorpe fans would agree with you uh, just at the moment. Uh, our, our penultimate question comes from Ray Challenger. Uh, great, what a great name that is! Ray. What a name! Yeah. You, would, you wouldn't worry, you wouldn't bother you what your first name was, would it? If your second name was Challenger, you could, <laughs> you could be Nigel. You wouldn't, but you'd still hold your head high walking down the road. Ray Challenger. Um, it's an interesting one, Kieran, because he, he, it's it's another of your pet subjects. As Ray Challenger says, in many shows, you've highlighted the West Ham deal for the London Stadium and what a great one it is for the Hammers. And this has me wondering, of all the teams who do rent their stadium, who's getting the best deal? Uh, and I, I suspect he's already mentioned the team who's getting the best deal, hasn't he, Kieran? I, I, think, I think Ray has absolutely nailed this one. Um, the, the West Ham deal, not, not only... It is uh, the, the rent relatively low. Um, the the landlord is obliged to provide for a lot of the the day to day costs and maintenance of the stadium itself. 
So if, if you'd owned a stadium, you know, you, you've got to do the repairs, you've, you've got to do the tidying up, and, and, and West Ham are effectively paying for next to nothing apart from you know, 20 to 25 times a season they, they're occupying the stadium. And remember now you know, the, the, the capacity is, is going up and up and up. I think it was, it was 57,000, then it's 60. I think they're trying to move to 62 or beyond. So uh, it, it is a really good deal. The, the only other club in the Premier League which is which is effectively um, paying f- a, a rental deal, um, it, it's it's another former athletic stadium. But of course, we're talking about the Etihad. Yes, um, and Manchester City. Um, you know they they acquired the Etihad again on a long lease from the council. But I think what what is noticeably different is that Manchester City have paid around about three hundred million pounds themselves in in terms of infrastructure costs. Now that's not that's for the whole of the Etihad campus and the training facilities, um, yeah, and and the, the the increase in the size of the stadium that's been paid for by City. Um, to, to, because the you know I, I, I was around in you know, I was living in Manchester and, and attended the, the you know, then Commonwealth Stadium, um, you know City are now in, in a much bigger um, and a much more football focused stadium, um, and they've had to go and pay for a lot of those costs, especially since the new owners came in. So so therefore the the West Ham position is 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 far more beneficial to them um, because. They've not had to expand anything, and in fact, you know, the extra seats have effectively been paid for um, by, by the taxpayer. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because the Etihad is a much more sympathetic conversion. It does at least feel mm. you go to the London Stadium and you you feel the ghost of the Athletic Stadium all around the, the footprint. Really, uh, before I ask this next question, Kieran, the final question, I'm going to remind listeners, and they'll understand why I'm doing it now rather than after the question. I'm going to remind listeners that we have the great Nick DeMarco on our next pod, uh, the uh, football's leading barrister, the expert, I believe we'd say, in laws it relates to football. And if you have a question for him, then please email um, questions at priceoffootball.com uh, and in brackets, inverted commas, add the words, ask Nick. Uh, and we know someone, uh, a Brisbane Raw fan, Lee Poulin, if you've got a question for Nick DeMarco, it's definitely getting asked. Um, but the reason I mention it now is because this last question, which I think is a cracker, is one that I'm going to ask you, but it's also one that I'd be really interested to hear what Nick DeMarco has to say about it. And it comes from Gareth Nunn. And Gareth Nunn says, could a player at Newcastle who was signed under the Mike Ashley regime ask for his contract to be ripped up because the current owners hold political and cultural views completely different from his own? Right. I mean, I, th- I think this is a legal issue rather than a, a finance issue. Yeah. Um, and it's also, um, I think Newcastle fans themselves would, would quite happily have a statue of Nick DeMarco in yes. the city because it was you know, partially due to his efforts that the the, the change of ownership ultimately was was approved by the Premier League. Um, well, Kieran, I'll tell you what. Shall we hold it over for Nick then, as it's a legal question, or do you, do you have a can yeah. you crowbar a financial uh, argument in there? Because I'm happy to wait to hear what Nick's got to say about. It, as I think it's a really a really interesting question, and, and would have ramifications for players at other clubs as well. Okay, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, all right. Um, 
in which case I could have waited and did the uh, questions at priceoffootball.com afterwards. Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, that'd be very kind of you to go to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show about general football finance matters, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. As I say, we'll be back on Thursday with a normal news pod plus Nick DeMarco. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, as always, folks, thanks for your support through through Patreon for as little as a, a pound a month. You, you can support the show, but yeah, we also appreciate we 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 we're grateful for for all financial support. But we, we appreciate that times are tough for for everybody. So equally, um, if if you if you want to show us a, a bit of karma, if you want to show us a few positive vibes. One way of doing that is is to use your uh, is to use your app that you use to download your podcast and give us a review. Um, if, if you can give us five stars, only if you think it's we're worth it. And we don't, we don't want to be, uh, uh, we don't want you to, to force you to do that. Um, that. That's that's much appreciated and it helps us in the charts. It helps us with the credibility when we're trying to book guests and so on. Um, by all accounts, it, it's the stars that matter and not the narrative. So you could say you would rather have the show presented by Keir Starmer and Jeffrey Dahmer. And... <laughs> I, th- I think that would be a really <laughs> intriguing show, um, and you know, Keir Starmer has been saying he's you know he's, he's fed up of being accused of being dull. But if, he, if he's if he's doing a show with Jeffrey Dahmer, which you know appreciate is going to be difficult, but maybe yeah. due to the fact that Jeffrey Dahmer's dead um, yeah. and he's an absolute scumbag. Yeah, well, um, yeah. but uh, it would uh, it, it would be a fascinating listen. Yeah, I, I know somebody who plays five side football with Keir Starmer. Uh, apparently, he's really quite hard on the pitch oh, right. yeah which which i'm pleased to hear because he's always strikes you look at keir starmer's eyes he's got the eyes of a, a, a rather peaceful bloke but if he did get into a fight you'd have to kill him to stop him he's, he's just got that look about him it's like if you walked into a pub you've never been in before you wouldn't touch his pool cue do you know what i mean just in case you wouldn't move his 50p on the table he's just got that yeah, look yeah. about him but, um bye everybody bye football. <laughs> <laughs>